0: Good documentaries tell stories that work on multiple levels. Filmmaker Andy Timoner's Last Flight Home does this by portraying a family as it prepares for the loss of its patriarch who has chosen to end his life and documenting a very specific time in our history when the most personal medical and healthcare choices are the sources of monumental political debate. The fact that the family is Timoner's own gives the movie an extra resonance and she is sharing not just the movie, but her perspective on the politics surrounding it. Andy, welcome to Political Theater. Thank you for having me. Let's talk a little bit about this movie, and, and I'll, I'll preface it just a little bit by saying that for those who who may not have have caught um, this this particular film, which is streaming now on Paramount Plus, it was shortlisted for an Academy Award. Uh, they may know you from Dig, uh, which won the Grand Jury Prize at uh, Sundance back in two thousand four, which is a movie about. The Brian Jonestown Massacre and Dandy Warhol. So you have a wide range of uh of uh, of, of interests. You've done a feature film about Robert Maplethorpe. But this movie, I, I dare say this must have been your most personal one that, that you've undertaken.
1: Absolutely. And 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 honestly, Jason, I didn't I didn't intend to make the movie at first. I was uh I actually thought that my instinct and drive, I felt this urge to film my father when he was coming home from the hospital to begin hospice and begin this 15-day waiting period before he uh, took the End of Life Option Act in California to end his life. I I was just panicked about forgetting him. It was really uh, something that I felt like I have to just bottle him up. It wasn't intentional that I was going to make a documentary at that time. And I actually went to see a therapist because I was concerned that what I was doing was maybe inappropriate or was going to be mediating my own experience hurting my father in some way hurting my sister in some way so I just I wanted to make sure that this was the right the right decision and the therapist to my surprise said if you feel like you should film you should film and then I called my father in the hospital and instead of just saying yes when I asked him if I could film when he when he came home he said i instinctively know you're on the right track which i thought was a really interesting answer. Cause I, I, it took till after his death till I knew what track I was on.
0: And also this is all happening, you know, during COVID. I mean, you, your, your father had been hospitalized. You, you almost, I mean, you get a, at, at this little bit in the film, you, you, you almost kind of break him out <laughs> of the hospital. Um, and, and he goes home for, for hospice and he ends his life on, on uh, March 3rd, 2021. And so this is all happening, I mean, this would be difficult under any circumstances, but especially ones where we're really in just the, the, the worst possible time during the COVID-19 pandemic.
1: Yeah, it was something where we were worried as we gathered, you know, the, the, great, the great gift. Uh, you know, a lot of people, when they see this film, they thank us. I mean, really, we've heard from thousands and thousands of people thanking us for sharing this story, but the real gift was the law itself. And, and because there was a date, um, even though it was really scary to lose dad on that day, we knew what day. So we could actually gather. Uh, the family could come from New York. The kids could come home from college. But yeah, because of the pandemic, we were certainly concerned that we would be uh, transmitting COVID. Um, and ironically, dad actually had the vaccine in uh, in the hospital right before he came home, so that was kind of interesting because it was like he's getting vaccinated, but he's going to die in two weeks. Um, but he's I guess wanted to make sure he didn't die of COVID nineteen. So right, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, And then just uh, I I, w- I do want to get a little bit into you know some of your some of your interactions with members of Congress. Uh, we met a couple of days ago. We're, we're uh, doing this on June seventh, Wednesday, but we met earlier this week and Monday when you did a screening at the Eaton Hotel here in DC. But you're also meeting with members of Congress. I want to get to that in a second, but I also want to get to something, uh, you know, a little bit stay in the personal angle because um, your family uh, was here, uh, your your mother, your your brother, a lot of your nieces and nephews were here, and. One of the things that was that struck me as we were talking before the, the before the movie, before the screening, and before the panel that that uh, that you all were kind enough to do afterward, your brother uh, Michael, who's a, who's also a film uh, in the film business, he's an editor. Uh, he he said, you know, there's so much attention in our in our lives to to truly joyous occasions, you know, the, of 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 birth and anniversaries and reunions and graduations. We have all of this ritual and all of this meaning put into different points in our lives except for death you know we we don't approach it with the same sort of of planning and that's what heath was thinking about throughout this process of the of the film and then obviously of seeing the seeing the film and i thought what what was was something similar going through your mind too as you're doing that that this is like this is a universal thing you're doing. This is very personal with you and your family, but it just also seems to be this universal thing. It comes, you know, death comes for us all. And you're sharing parts of this with, with, you know, the rest of humanity here with this film.
1: Well, you know what? That's, I mean, that's exactly it is that we are so scared of death and dying. And I still am. I mean, I, I'm not ready yet to go, you know Um, the idea that I would lose my mom is as terrifying as it, it's not like you get less scared of it, right? Like it's, I, I guess is what I'm trying to say, just because I lost dad and I went through this process. And and in many ways, uh, the film, many people would say it's a very uplifting, beautiful uh, time to spend with our family. Like we, it, to me, it was some of the most sacred uh, time of my whole life. I, I would say maybe the best weeks of my life were those weeks because- It's pure presence, you know, no, nothing, no, no, no social media, no bills, no ups and downs of successes, no fleeting anything of the kind of noise that weighs us down in our normal lives really has a space in that place, right? When a person is dying, that's it. That's what matters. And it is a chance if we, if we can, if the person is, you know, still sharp as we were blessed that dad Still had his his mind intact. It's a chance to go through a person's life, and the the most important and most most uh, meaningful moments sort of rise to the surface, and and nothing else is in that room. And so it was a beautiful time uh, to spend. But um, it is something that we don't see a lot of representations of because death is so scary to us, and. And it's made scarier by our media, which just shows us images of mass shootings and mass accidents. And then, you know, our entertainment, which is usually violent death, right? You don't really, I was speaking to an expert professor and and she said, you know, an expert on death at USC. And she said, there's, there's like no current modern representations of children or people around a deathbed. It used to be something that was painted, you know, before photography, (laughs) In our time, it is not something that's done as much. We don't know that it's done. I'm sure it is done, but we don't know that, right like like people protect their children from death and that is actually hurting them. That's actually robbing them of a chance to have closure, of a chance to gain wisdom and love that they can carry with them forever from that person who's dying and uh, and that person who's dying, should be celebrated uh, as they were when they came into this world. And that's something that I don't think we think about too much. I certainly never did um, until I was in this position and when I went through this. And that's why we shared the film, because in many ways, even though we felt like we were sort of walking on the moon in our parents' living room, we came together as a family. And it was something that I thought perhaps could provide uh, a bit of a guide on how to die how to let go of loved ones and and even how to live, you know, and you see, as you see my father struggle with, you know, long held shame from losing his financial means and his ability to support his family uh, due to this accidental stroke he had 40 years prior, you know, you see him get pushed out of the airline that he created and he was quite the innovator and uh, really a, a pretty well-known businessman who brought deregulation through Congress. Um, but by the time he's dying he thinks he's failed and you come to see him in the course of the film let go of that shame by voicing it and i think you know i hope that it helps other people let go of of shame that they're holding even if they're in their 40s or 30s or 20s you know um that that they don't need to hold on to because love and how we love and how we treat others is really what matters and i think it's nice to have a document that kind of returns you to that in some way. Um, so that was the reason I released it.
0: And uh, yeah, I just uh, wanted to note too that your father, um, for for pe- people of a certain age, they might have even flown on his airline. He was the founder of Air Florida, a uh, key figure in deregulating the airline industry because it was a low-cost carrier and it wanted to offer its services in a way that uh, didn't uh, – didn't jive with what the big boys were doing. And so if, if, uh, you know, in the, in the seventies and eighties, uh, you were uh, a person who was flying on a low cost fly, uh, carrier, uh, you have, you uh, like to vote to, to thank in, in part. Uh, so this, this, uh, you know, this, this part of this chapter of his life, you know, um, is, is something that, as you said, I mean, this was this height of success. And then he had this stroke, which had been, you know, he had been, um, suffering, you know, just for, Years, you know, just the the shame and being pushed out and so forth, and you know the the way that he comes to grips with that, you know, through talking to you all, particularly, and and you know, your sister, I should mention, is is a rabbi, uh, and and is there sort of as a as a providing the spiritual, you know, sort of rituals for some of that is is pretty pretty extraordinary, and I think you know as as a representation of ways that people younger can see how to die. I mean, your, your nephew, uh, Eli Owen, who was at the, on the panel with us the other day too. I mean, he had such a great take on it that, you know, this is a kid in their twenties. Right. And, and saying like, this was the most visceral best thing that I've been through. And, you know, it's easy to make fun of, of young people now because they, you know, they're because of social media and how addicted the addicted they are to phones and so forth. But that was, that was something that was very grounding to hear that.
1: Yeah, I I think those kids were, you know, were changed forever from this experience. I know they were. They've all participated in different Q&As, all five grandchildren. And in fact, the movie played, you know, Parents Weekend at Oberlin College. Hundred kids and families came uh, and it changed their weekend, totally changed their conversations to be so much more authentic and open. Um, people were admitting, you know, things that they have held on to, to one another, um, my brother's family also, Gigi goes to the youngest, grand, you know, the granddaughter goes to Oberlin and my father's grandson, my son, Shuki goes to Oberlin and uh, people were really changed by it. The 20 year olds were crying, but also laughing and holding on to sometimes their grandparents, you know, that they're going to have to say goodbye to, and they just don't have a roadmap for that, you know? Um, so we've had that reaction, University of Oregon, Telluride, we've had that reaction from people in their twenties that, uh, really feel like they need this document. I think it's a scary plunge for people to take. They think, oh, we're going to watch a man die in this movie, you know, but really what you see is it's really a love story in a lot of ways. It's just, a it's, it's really a a love story, multi-generational family love story, I think, um, but it became a political document for me um, as I started to to have families come up to me and crying about you know, their their loved ones begging for mercy and them having no recourse to help them. And I started to realize like this is a this is a vision of medical aid and dying, which is an oft misunderstood basic human right. And that if our father hadn't had that right, everything you see in that movie all the beauty, all the love, all of the closure would never have happened. And dad, he went from, you know, down and out at the beginning of the film, totally despondent, feeling powerless, wanting to leave this earth immediately to really uplifted and funny. And, you know, as soon as he had agency again over his body, it changed the game for him. And and that's been consistent with every single person we've met whose family member has been lucky enough to be in one of the 10 states in our union that has this right, um, they all report back that the family has closure and the person dying has peace and hope and is able to kind of come back to life and and go out lighter because of it. Um, so that to me feels like important, you know, to pay it forward, that it's important that that this very personal, private originally private document that I created um, is is something that is used to change the lives for hopefully millions of terminally ill people. And so that's why we were just in Washington um, meeting with lawmakers and and screening the film.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And one of the lawmakers uh, who you've been working with uh, in Washington and visited with uh, is a is, uh, freshman uh, Congresswoman, Brittany Pedger And in, in worked with her on a previous film too. Uh, so you, you've got some, you know, relationships with members of Congress, uh, a former Congressman Ben McAdams also, uh, had, had worked, had worked with it's coming clean. Yeah. coming yeah, clean. Both, about, yeah. yeah.
1: They were both, um, in, in this film, uh, coming clean. They, they were the, the political angle of the film. The film is about solutions to the opioid epidemic is about that. You can see it on Amazon, et cetera, on all the, you know, streaming platforms but it came out during the pandemic. That was like every filmmaker friend of mine has a pandemic casualty film that came out during a time when you couldn't really show films and c- gather people together. Right. So that, and to add to that, it's about an epidemic, right? So like, you know, as much as we care about how the tragic mass deaths that happened from opioids in the face of COVID-19, it was not it was not the right timing, right? For this film. But these two individuals, Ben McAdams and Brittany Pedersen, now Congresswoman uh, right. from Colorado, these two were are really, were, were putting forth some of the most progressive legislation um, for opioid treatment, for the handling of, of, of opioid addicts who are arrested uh, through therapeutic justice. Uh, ben did that as a mayor as the mayor of salt lake county and then went on to be congressman from utah and um they they are really like they they will renew your hope in our elected officials if you spend any amount of time with either one of them Um, but yeah i called britney when i was looking at the federal uh ban there's a funding ban uh, for Medicare and Medicaid to be able to fund the medicine or any of the treatment around medical aid and dying. It's called ASPRA. And it's a it's an act from 1997 in reaction to Oregon being the first state to make it legal for people who are terminally ill with less than six months to live to end their lives. And uh, as it was that Kevorkian time, you know, where it was just kind of this knee-jerk reaction where they said, "Well, certainly the federal government's not going to participate in this." Well, what that means is that the ten states where it is legal, they and and Brittany, when I called her, she you know she's new to Congress, but she also had no idea. She supports the right to die. Colorado has that right to die with dignity for its terminally ill uh, residents, and yet if they don't have enough money to pay the medicine, and you see me hand over my credit card in last flight home uh, cost nearly over a thousand dollars. When you consider the messenger and everything. Yeah. For the medicine that dad took at the end of his life and to end his life in, in Colorado or in Oregon or Washington or New Jersey or Vermont where the right exists, or even there in Washington, DC, um, they, you just get, yeah, you need to have a certain amount of money or you can't afford to die. The other thing that's crazy is if you're a veteran and you're in a VA hospital, there's a ban, a gag order on the hospital telling you that you uh, have this right to die. So you don't even know. And I'll tell you this, Jason, like we talk about death and dying so little in our society that even though my brother and sister and I are, are very, you know, well-read, educated people, we all we all went to Yale, you know, et cetera, like my mom reads the news daily, We didn't know that there was this right in California and I met a woman the other night at a reception here in LA and she said she was driving her mother to Oregon to do medical aid and dying. And I said, well, where does your mother live? She said, San Francisco. So there's just very little knowledge of even that the law exists, but certainly in a hospital, they should inform you of that. And um, so we came to Washington as a family to lobby for uh, Asfra to be reformed and, and Brittany Pedersen, bless her, is working on a bill. She immediately said, we need to repeal that. Uh, repealing might be too much to ask at this point in a Republican House, but reforming it to allow states their basic rights as states um, for the 10 states in which it exists in Washington does seem like a reasonable ask. Um, so hopefully uh, we'll call it Eli's Law. Hopefully Eli's Law will pass. Uh, but we were there meeting with, um, gosh, Jan Schakowsky's office. Uh, we were we were with Jamie Raskin's office. We were with, um, gosh, I can read you the list if you want. We met with so many different, let's see, Judy Chu, Earl Blumenauer, Representative Dan Goldman's office, Representative Dan Newhouse. We actually gave him an elevator pitch. Uh, he's a congressman from Washington, a Republican. And we gave him an elevator pitch. Like we ran into him in the elevator uh, yesterday and he was so interested. His uh, father-in-law is being put into palliative care as we speak. And he stepped out of the elevator and was very happy that his law, his state had that law. Um, Representative Jerry Nadler's office, Senator Dianne Feinstein's office, Senator Alex Padilla's office. And Gillibrand or Gillibrand, I'm not sure how she says her name. Jill, so, yeah, Gillibrand.
0: Gillibrand's yeah, office. Yeah,
1: yeah uh, really. We actually met with some wonderful people, so I think I have a lot of hope in this. But it's just the beginning.
0: Yeah, and I want I want to be respectful of your time because I know you've got some other things to do. But I I I wish you all the best. I mean this is, this movie is getting a little bit of a uh, you know sort of a second life through the these efforts, and and I think that you know documentaries are always um it, it, it's always hit or miss you know what's what's the, what the public will respond to but it does seem that this is something that uh this concerns everybody and again it's it's streaming on paramount plus uh r- right now uh so if you have a paramount plus uh Subscription. It is available there, and also I just wanted to note, too that you you've got another movie coming out soon, The New Americans, where you have another uh, uh, former member of Congress, Cindy Axney, uh, which is about you know our sort of current uh, media culture and 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 so forth. And and uh, when is that going to be out? Uh, so,
1: so I am not sure when it's being released. A Paramount uh, Republic Pictures, which is Paramount subsidiary. Um, picked it up before its premiere at South by Southwest. And I have drafts of uh, the trailer coming my way on a, you know, weekly basis, so I know they're working on marketing materials, but I'm not quite sure when it'll be released. It's doing the festival circuit now. We just played Mountain Film and Tell and Dallas and Milwaukee and uh, we have requests coming in all the time. It's going to be premiering in Australia soon. Um, But it is really, it also uh, features Representative Sean Caston of Mm -hmm. Chicago, of Illinois. Um, And he talks about, you know, the insurrection and the fear as he was hiding in his office. Um, And and both of them talk about sort of this fever pitch, mob mentality that can form instantly on the internet. And uh, the film really sort of charts the insurrection and the GameStop squeeze and the look at sort of the effect of technology and memes on our psychology and our on our behavior as a society. Um, it's a really ambitious film. It's exactly the opposite of Last Flight Home. If you want to talk about two sides of one brain, it's totally, <laughs> totally confusing to work on both of those at the same time, but I did. <laughs> um, and what I tried to do was tell the whole film really from the language in which, you know, millennials and Gen Z sort of communicate, which is through memes and discord groups. And so it's, it really takes you inside that world, inside the game, inside the revolution game, if you will. A lot of these kids grew up watching their parents lose everything in the 2002, you know, 2008, 2009 financial crisis and, uh, and saw very little repercussions. And it, it, memes can really trigger a certain amount of discontent that that runs through our blood now and causes us to react and uh so taking down Wall Street in washington it doesn't the the repercussions of that don't necessarily uh come first to mind when you're a gamer and you've been raised on games and so it's a complex film jason i'm trying to sum it up for you but it is definitely entertaining and i can't wait to share it with you That's for sure.
0: (laughs) I look forward to it. But in in the meantime, you know, good luck continuing to talk about last flight home again, encourage all of our listeners to give it a, give it a a watch. And, um, Andy, thank you so much. You've been great. It was great meeting you the other day. It's I'm really glad we got to do a podcast, uh, to, to follow up and we'll, we will, I have a feeling we'll uh, be talking again. I really hope so.
1: Jason, (laughs) I really appreciate you, uh, giving some attention to this important, right. It's a, it's really like uh, a right to basic bodily autonomy and a gift to to those who deserve a gift at the end of their lives. And I I urge everyone to go to interloperfilms.com, which is our website, interloperfilms.com. Or you can find it through me, Andy Timoner, on the internet. And uh, just join up in the conversation because it's an important conversation to have. And we're all going to be there one day, all of us. We all lose our loved ones and none of us gets out of here alive. So... Thank you. Thanks for giving me the time.
0: Thank you. And thank you out there, our listeners, for uh, tuning in for another episode of Political Theater. If you like this podcast, please rate it and subscribe to our newsletter on rollcall.com. Talk to you next time.